Welcome to Lady in the Couch, a podcast about mental health and well-being, relationships, and topics specifically related to women. I am your host, Autumn Collier, a licensed psychotherapist in Atlanta, Georgia. Let's have a seat on the couch. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining me on the couch today. We are talking about toxicity and the idea that everything's toxic. So toxic. This word has gained a lot of traction over the last couple of years. I'm hearing it more and more in the therapy room and outside the therapy room, in media, just all over the place. The definition of toxic, the dictionary definition of toxic is poisonous, something very harmful or unpleasant in a pervasive or insidious way, which could be like a toxic relationship, denoting or relating to debt that has a high risk of default. That could also be toxic debts. That is the actual definition of something that is toxic. It is pervasive, very harmful, unpleasant, just really negative in someone's life. And insidious and pervasive, meaning it just kind of creeps and seeps into all areas of someone's life. Or the damage from the toxicity creeps and seeps into most, if not all, areas of someone's life. I often hear or most often hear this term being used to describe interpersonal relationships and also even like work culture or environment. Some people may describe some of their friends or their romantic partners as toxic. They may look at a work manager or familial relationship could be relationship with their mother or relationship with their father or sibling as toxic. They may deem it toxic. Toxicity in relationships is a very real phenomenon. I don't want to minimize that. Toxicity exists. It is real. I think it's also wonderful that now we are able to acknowledge relationships in our lives that are damaging. And I definitely encourage us all to keep discerning toxic areas in our lives. We want to be able to name and state what is toxic, what is unhealthy in our lives, what is healthy, what is not working, what has detriment in our lives. I think it's a really beneficial skill to be able to acknowledge that. There are times, however, when the label toxic may be overused or incorrectly used. So yes, toxicity can be subjective. It is subjective and there is not one universal standard of toxicity. Sure. And yes, you can label anything you want toxic. Someone may be thinking, well, if I feel this is toxic, it's toxic. So I'm going to call it toxic. Sure. That is your prerogative. However, this term is being used in excess sometimes to describe situations or relationships that cause discomfort. So today, I really want to focus on really being able to discern. So a situation or relationship, it may be stressful or difficult, as they oftentimes are. Therefore, maybe we can just term that situation or relationship as stressful or difficult, as opposed to calling it toxic. Because toxicity is so harmful, toxicity is a thing. It is pervasive. It is highly detrimental, very harmful. So because toxicity is so harmful, when we label something as toxic, We are suggesting or even affirming that it has no place in our lives and that it is intolerable. So the problem arises when we label ordinary stressors as toxic, which can lead us to avoiding things, avoiding circumstances or people or situations or relationships that trigger these stressors, or it may leave us with feelings of defeat and hopelessness if we cannot avoid these stressors. So if we've told ourselves that a situation at work or in our interpersonal relationship is toxic, yet we cannot avoid the toxicity, maybe we have to go to work, then we do feel hopeless or even helpless. 
as if there's nothing we can do about it. We're just stuck in a toxic situation. So before we even get to that point where we feel hopeless or stuck in toxic situations, I want to first make sure we are labeling or discerning as objective as possible. So in looking at some of the circumstances in our lives, let's say, for instance, you know, you have a stressful work day. So a stressful work day can lead anyone to feel frustrated or even question their career. You know, if it's stressful enough, you may come home that evening like, "Mm, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And when feeling vulnerable, such as in that time, maybe we're tired, overworked, maybe hungry, lacking sleep. We come home from work. We've had a rough day. Maybe we encountered disgruntled customer or, you know, just many things could have gone wrong that day. That already makes us vulnerable. So when feeling vulnerable, we then may refer to the job, the whole job as toxic because it has stressed us out. So I would challenge this. Is the job actually toxic or is the stress uncomfortable? And maybe that stress feels unmanageable. So what can feel toxic, however, is the discomfort of having to sit with these feelings of stress. So while the whole job itself may not be toxic or that workday, yes, while it may have been stressful, does it warrant us to label the whole job as toxic? Maybe not. However, what might feel toxic is that extreme discomfort of having to sit with your feelings of stress, of maybe disregard if your day was work. Maybe it included feeling dismissed or disregarded or disrespected. All those feelings can exist from a stressful workday. And that can feel toxic, maybe not the job itself. And, you know, because we want to rid ourselves of the discomfort, um, you know, as humans, we want to do whatever we have to do to keep our discomfort down, to keep our stress down, to keep our anxiety down. So because we want to rid ourselves of the discomfort, we act. And part of us acting is calling the job toxic. So if we say, you know, well, this job is toxic, well, then that means I don't have to put up with it, meaning the job. You know, we've already stated that when we identify something as toxic in our lives, it kind of gives us permission to then write it off and no longer have to deal with it. So now we've justified by calling the job toxic, which means internally, I don't have to put up with this job anymore. I don't have to put up with this, whatever I'm feeling as a result of the job. Now we have justified different actions such as maybe taking the next day off or showing up to work and giving minimal effort because we had the idea that. I owe this job nothing because it's not good for me anyway and it's toxic. So I owe them nothing. So I'm just going to show up and do the minimum. Or we might even resign from our place of employment. After all, the mentality is we can't have toxicity in our lives. And if something being this job in this case is toxic, well, we are well within our rights to get rid of it. So let's say we resign and we go get our next job. We go there, the stress is high. The same kind of cycle happens. Oh no, this is now feeling toxic. This is toxic. You know, those familiar feelings start to rise. And, you know, yep, we start labeling this job toxic as well. And then it's a cycle and you know how the rest goes. And the same can go for relationships. You know, let's say in one of your friendships, your girlfriend has a sense of humor that personally offends you. And maybe you guys have been friends since, I don't know, elementary school. However, now you feel the relationship has become toxic and you need to cut her off. I would challenge that. Would you truly deem the entirety of the relationship toxic? Or do the jokes offend you? Does your friend's sense of humor create pervasive harm in your life? Is that what you're saying? That her sense of humor really creates this pervasive harm in your life? Or do you just not like her jokes and how they make you feel? It's really helpful to denote exactly what it is that is distressing versus labeling it all as toxic. 
Because when you label something toxic, and in this case, if you label your relationship with your friend toxic, now internally, a new set of rules come into play when you label something toxic. Labeling that friendship toxic can now mean for you that you can write it off. Or in some cases, you know, you can ghost the relationship or ghost your friend that it's okay because, well, after all, it is toxic and I don't need toxicity in my life. So I'm just going to have to remove this from my life. That's kind of how we justify it to ourselves, where it could also be looked at as, well, you kind of ghosted or you avoided the conflict. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So, you know, another example, maybe in romantic relationships, your partner, your partner will absolutely irritate you from time to time. You know, they may trigger your insecurities without intention to harm. Your partner, you know, oftentimes can know you best. So yes, they know your insecurities or you're around them. And it may not be on purpose that they're triggering them, but it just happens because you're around each other often. It is very easy to label something toxic when we feel exposed and triggered, especially if someone is triggering or tinkering with our insecurities. Oh yeah. We definitely feel a way about that. And it feels like what they're doing is toxic to us when maybe it's just that we are just highly distressed and our emotions are not regulated in the moment. And with that relationship, maybe they've triggered us and now we want to call them and the relationship toxic. You know, it's almost like calling something toxic is kind of like a safe word. Like, you know, some people safe word might be pineapples or something like that. When something maybe feels unsafe, maybe our safe word is toxic. Because that internally or subconsciously gives us the freedom to let it go. Calling something toxic, you know, again, it creates a strong note to self that we will not tolerate this. And again, you know, if a situation or relationship is toxic, then we absolutely should not tolerate it. We just want to be sure that we are discerning toxicity from stress, like ordinary stress or discomfort, and that we're also looking to remove toxicity as opposed to avoidance. So when discerning, if a situation is toxic or stressful, try to be objective and look for themes and trends. You know, if one day at work a month or even once a week is stressful, it may not warrant the whole toxic label. If more days than not are stressful and there is little support from management or even disregard, this has been ongoing and it's having negative consequences in your day-to-day functioning, then yeah, it may be toxic. You know, sometimes what I see as well is that it is easier to label something toxic instead of setting a boundary. Again, toxic is being used as that safe word like pineapples. Like when I say toxic, that means I can flee or whatever your fight, flight or freeze strategy is, then that might come into play when we label something toxic. Designating the toxic label can give us permission or maybe this internal permission to avoid the stressor. So sometimes what I see is that when individuals label something as toxic, all they really end up doing is just avoiding and they never really deal with what is actually happening. So we use avoidance as a coping skill, which is not helpful. So, you know, take the friend whose jokes, you know, are offensive. Take the friend whose jokes are offensive. You know, this childhood friend you've known forever. Instead of addressing the concern, you avoid, maybe you start to ghost, you become very short. And then the relationship starts to take a turn in a negative way because that connection is becoming fractured. And then, you know, as that begins to happen, yeah, it probably does feel different. It may even feel more toxic because the relationship is not cohesive and which also then perpetuates the idea that this is toxic. So I do need to let it go. So it just really creates this negative trickle down 
with avoidance. So here are a couple of steps I encourage everyone to take before labeling something toxic. Again, toxicity does exist. It absolutely exists. And we want to be sure we are labeling something as accurately and objective as possible to make sure that we are not using avoidance as a coping skill or trying to avoid something that makes us uncomfortable. And also that we are not trying to shy away from things that provide some level of discomfort. Because by doing that, by shying away from things that make us uncomfortable, we are ultimately weakening our muscle of distress tolerance, not being able to tolerate distress. So before labeling something toxic, we want to discern using these steps. First, can you or have you defined the problem? So, you know, in that relationship, in that environment or situation where maybe you're feeling something is toxic. Okay, so let's define the problem. So identify the behavior, environment, or situation that is problematic for you. And this is very important for the next steps that follow. You know, we want to be very specific and define the problem. So if the observation from this step, and I want to make a note as well in this step, if the observation from step one, you know, what you're seeing as the problem, if it is egregious enough, then the next steps may be obsolete. So for instance, if your romantic partner tries to intimidate you and becomes physically aggressive, that is egregious, that is toxic. The next steps really don't even need to be followed. Go ahead and make your move, do what you need to do for your own safety, safety first, as well as your well-being. Sure, not really talking about these egregious acts that are absolutely toxic. Different example where it's not so egregious, not so black and white, I guess. If you feel stressed at work, try defining the problem a bit more. Eventually, it may be defined as you have this work stress. Well, you may define the problem as being poorly trained and now feeling inadequate to do the job. Okay. So based on step one alone, being poorly trained and not feeling adequate to do the job, I wouldn't say that necessarily equates to toxicity. So we want to be as specific as possible as it makes it easier to state our needs. So that would be step one to discern. Define the problem as specific as possible. The next step, did you confront the stressor or situation? So now that we've already defined the problem, if you have not addressed the problem with all parties involved, it is recommended you do so as a second step. This should only be done in circumstances where you deem it safe and there is no egregious problem such as violence and intimidation among others. So the example I gave prior, domestic violence in a relationship, you know, I'm not saying go confront that situation. No, safety first. Not talking about the egregious acts here. So with the work scenario I just mentioned, this would mean speaking with your manager about how maybe you were not trained as extensively as desired. That's what confronting the stress or a situation could look like. Hence why it is very important to specifically define the problem so that you can clearly communicate it. Or, you know, maybe even the situation I mentioned earlier with the close girlfriend, it then means communicating with her how her jokes are problematic for you. So we've defined it, defined the problem, maybe define what is causing us to feel the distress or what is triggering us. And then we confront it with individuals involved. So third, did you set a boundary or communicate your terms? So after defining the problem internally, then communicating the problem to all parties involved, it is time to set a boundary. So this means stating what you need or would like moving forward. Simple as that. It doesn't have to be this grand gesture of a boundary. It could just mean what you need moving forward. So this could be telling your girlfriend, hey girl, you know, 
please do not joke about my relationship. You know, that is a very sensitive topic for me. So that's off limits. So I'm going to ask you not to joke about that. If that was where her sense of humor was triggering you or making you feel away, or it could be to your manager at work. I like to excel and I am currently not equipped to succeed. I need more training before I can take on more projects so that I can do the job to fidelity and be efficient. That's what that could look like talking to your manager. So that is setting your boundary or communicating your terms, stating clearly what it is you need. The fourth step, fourth and last step would then be to reevaluate. So after communicating your boundary or terms, reevaluate the situation or relationship. We want to see if that situation has been able to correct itself or if individuals involved have been able to maybe change their behavior or do some things differently that were offending you. You know, if your girlfriend continues to make fun of your relationship after you've expressed your feelings about it, then yeah, maybe reevaluation of the relationship may be needed. But even so, you know, try to look at the total picture. Are you willing to let go of a friendship for a couple of decades over jokes about your relationship? Maybe yes, maybe not. Who knows? But look at the total relationship. If the act is not egregious, going back to the work example, if your manager agrees more training would be helpful and then puts that training in place, Well, toxic would likely not be used to describe the work environment. And it would be a positive sign that your manager heard you and is taking steps to correct maybe what wasn't done early on or to get you the support that you need. So if you find the distress you feel is most upsetting, if that distress you feel as a result of the trigger is upsetting you more than the actual trigger. So let's say, you know, if your girlfriend, her jokes may have gotten under your skin That upsets you, but what's more upsetting to you is the distress that you feel as a result of her upsetting you. Then you may want to do some self-soothing, self-soothing techniques that can promote distress tolerance. When I use the term distress tolerance, that is basically your ability to handle and deal with and sit with distress. Again, human nature is to rid ourselves of distress. Well, we kind of want to do the opposite sometimes. We want to be able to build our muscle of distress tolerance, meaning we can tolerate when something happens. We can tolerate distress or discomfort. We can sit with it and be okay. The more we avoid distress and discomfort, the weaker our muscle gets because it never has a chance to work itself out. So sometimes the best thing we can do is just sit with that distress because we're building a muscle and we're getting stronger and stronger. And ultimately, we're becoming more resilient. So some of the self-soothing techniques could be something like positive affirmations with yourself while trying to self-soothe. So, you know, maybe you're facing a challenging time at work or having to deal with one of your girlfriends and their humor or something like that. And you may feel the distress and your distress might be more so about, oh my gosh, how do I deal with this? Or what if I'm around her and she says something off the wall? Or how do I tell my manager? It could be more about that than the actual transgression itself. Something you can do to self-soothe, one positive affirmation could be, this is good for me. This is good for me. I have a meeting with my manager and I have an opportunity to express my needs. This is good for me. Or me and my girlfriend are going to lunch and I can tell her what I'm feeling. This is good for me. You can use this is good for me with any situation scenario that makes you feel distressed. The truth behind it is this is good for you because at the very least, if it does nothing else, it is at least building your tolerance to distress. So it can go from all the way on the one end of the spectrum of being good for you, meaning this is good for me because as a result, I would have spoken to my girlfriend about her jokes or as a result, I would have talked to my manager. Maybe some change will happen there. Yeah, that's on the far positive end. Sure. At the very least, 
this is good for me because I am actually going to tolerate this distress and go have that conversation with my girlfriend or my manager. And I know I can tolerate it. So this is good for me because it's given me an opportunity to flex a muscle. This is good for me. It is allowing me to get stronger and become more resilient. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes as an actual muscle in your body. So this is good for me. That is a nice way to self-soothe. And by self-soothe, we mean to regulate yourself, regulate your emotions. You know, if you're on a level 10, try to bring yourself back down to a more manageable level, manageable state of being. Another one includes like acceptance of reality skills and radical acceptance, meaning, and I'm just giving a brief overview of the skills as opposed to really going into them, but accepting what is, having that radical acceptance of what is. You have the conversation with your girlfriend and it doesn't go as you would like, radically accepting that. And that might mean, okay, she's not in a place to accept my disposition and what I'm saying, or I'm not in a place to hear what she's saying and accept her position. Or this is where we are. We're gridlocked. And I'm going to radically accept that we just see the situation differently. Or the same thing with your manager, having to radically accept the outcome of maybe trying to state your needs or addressing the conflict. If you observe that you are avoiding confronting parties involved with the problem, then building some assertiveness skills could be helpful. There are tons of books out there on assertiveness and boundaries that you could pick up and read through. So yes, if confronting or having difficult conversations is very difficult for you, some assertiveness skills could be helpful on top of or along with the distress tolerance, because sometimes the difficult part about having difficult conversations or confrontation is being able to tolerate that distress long enough to do it. You know, the distress that we feel around conflict can make us say, nope, I'm out of here. Make us take the flight, fight or flight can make us flee. So being able to sit with it and say, ooh, as bad as I want to flee, I really want to flee right now. And I'm not. I really want to flee and I'm not. I'm going to tolerate the distress, which is making me want to flee. However, I'm not. That is sitting there tolerating it to stick around so that you can actually confront the problem. But if you see that you don't like conflict or you don't like situations that you could perceive as ending in conflict, then some assertiveness could be helpful. Assertiveness skills. So, you know, it would be unfair or seem unfair to label someone or something as toxic without expressing your grievances. Unless, again, the trigger was egregious, just outlandish off the wall. Once you express your feelings to the person and communicate your limits, Hopefully, they will oblige. There will be times, however, when the individual will not. And that's where that radical acceptance comes in. And their behavior will say more about them than it says about you. And that will also make it very easy to discern what you need to do. Very easy to discern if the situation is toxic or unhealthy. So doing these steps, it doesn't mean that you're going to get your way or someone's going to stop or change their behavior. I do think, however, doing these steps allows you to discern better whether something is toxic or not. That's the most hopeful outcome to be able to discern, or that's the objective to be able to discern if something is toxic or not, not necessarily that the person will change. So toxicity does not have a place in your life. Stressors, however, are constant. They're not going to stop. Life will have stressors all day, every day, sometimes. How we tolerate the stressors and perceive them is what is most important or how we label them or discern or identify and categorize them. So let's refrain from using labels, however, until we have defined our grievance, communicated the grievance, set the limit or boundary, and then reevaluated the relationship or situation to 
to best determine or discern if it is unhealthy or whatever it is we may want to frame it as. So those are four steps I encourage everyone to take. Again, before throwing out that term toxic, yes, some things are absolutely toxic. And that term is very popular right now, getting a lot of play. It is a hashtag, I'm sure. So we just want to make sure we're not overusing it or using it incorrectly because it is a safe word like pineapples. And when you say toxic, everything stops. Be mindful of that. Be mindful of these four steps you can take. I hope today's podcast was helpful for you guys. If you have questions, feel free to reach out. You can contact me via our website at ladyinthecouch.com or you can send an email to hello at ladyinthecouch.com. Thanks for joining me on the couch, everyone. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Lady in the Couch. Feel free to share this episode with your friends on all of your social media platforms. If you are in the Atlanta area and seeking therapy, visit ladyinthecouch.com to learn more. Like what you heard? Feel free to give us a five-star review where you listen to podcasts. The content in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is for informational purposes only.